Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. This podcast is brought to you by Boringer Engelheim. As the global leader in equine health, Boringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com. Hi, and welcome to another episode of AEP Practice Life. I'm Mike Pownall, and this special uh, kickoff for 2021 with my partners from the AEP Business News Hour at the recent convention, virtual convention in Las Vegas, uh, Drs. Amy Grace and Drs. uh, Caitlin Daly. Welcome back. Thanks for having us back, Mike. Nice to be here this morning. So we did the uh, business news hour and, uh, and that went live, I think it was December 8th, 2020 when we did it. And I thought, you know, what would be really fun is to get the three of us together. We had some common themes in the business news hour and sort of think about, okay, what does 2021 look like for it? And so I think we learned if we were doing any kind of predictions at the beginning of 2020, nobody would have figured out what this year was. So I think trying to say, hey, this is what I think is going to happen is, you know, it's probably more of an exercise in aspirations. And so I thought with that in mind, let's sort of review the, the themes that we had with the Business News Hour and sort of think, where do we think this will go in 2021 and maybe more of where do we hope it goes in 2021. And so it's probably going to be a bit of a freewheeling discussion, but let's jump in. And so we started our business news hour and Amy, you were talking about the economy in general. So where do we think we're going to go in 2021? Well, it's anybody's guess, but certainly I think initially we may have some unemployment figures that worsen a little bit. But I think it's important for everybody to remember that our clients typically are in a higher income range and the Department of Labor and those that keep the the statistics on unemployment, when you look at those, those that have higher education typically are less affected by unemployment. And in fact, uh, many people who have been able to work from home you know, really haven't had an economic hit at all. And what we've seen is it really has fractured our country into the haves and have-nots. And uh, horse owners are typically the haves. So I would would, uh, predict, just a prediction, that we won't see our equine clients in big trouble. I would actually think that's it's probably going to be a good year for the equine profession, just because, I mean, a lot of people have just pent up savings. I mean, savings are at an all-time high. And so when you have, let's say, our clients are a little bit more well-heeled, but they're not going out for dinner as much, they're not going on vacation, they're not, you know, they're not doing things like they would normally do. Uh, and they're still, you know, they have a job and, and maybe they're working from home, so they're not spending money on clothes for the for the office and parking and what have you. So. Don't forget the $10 a day for Starbucks. Well, there's that too. That adds up. (laughs) 
But, you know, early signs are from the horse shows that I've you know, been talking to people and that's in Florida is that, you know, the numbers are going to be really good. And I've been hearing the numbers for a lot of quarter horse shows in the, in the central part of the country are really up as well, too. So I think, you know what, we are really, really fortunate that that profession in general has done really well through this pandemic. And it looks like it'll carry on. I would agree with you, Mike. What do you think, Caitlin? I mean, I for me personally, I I kind of experienced like a little bit of a moral dilemma with the uh, widening difference between the haves and the have-nots because, you know, I'm faced with a large amount of student debt. So that's sort of what I've been doing with my excess of haves. But I feel like I should be doing more for the have-nots. So I think that that's going to be an interesting thing for me to explore and maybe other people to explore that are in a really fortunate position during this pandemic, what we could do extra maybe to help out those that don't have. Yeah, no, that's great. But are you talking about within the equine industry, like, uh, you know, rescues or, or what, how are you, what are you thinking? I'm thinking more the individual people and the food shortage or the, you know, in Maine, we experience fuel in economy for heating homes just the things that we take for granted getting through our day-to-day life that we are fine and other people are not. And I guess because the equine industry is doing so well and will likely continue to do well, uh, what can I do with my gifts from that? Yeah, I think that's, boy, that's a, that's a refreshing look on it. Um, I know most of us, we get very self-centered and, you know, when you get these kind of crises, we sort of, you know, huddle in and sort of how can we protect ourselves? But yeah, we, we do live in a, outside of a bigger economy. And I, I know Amy in Montana and, and Caitlin in Maine, smaller communities, you, you take care of each other more as mm-hmm. say, you know, in a bigger city or outside of a bigger city. So That's absolutely true. We have a wood ministry that uh, does, distributes firewood to um, to those that need um, heating, and a lot of people heat with wood here. And so volunteers go into the forest, cut the trees, come back, and volunteers saw it up, um, split it on the splitter, and then other volunteers deliver it to people in need. So That's amazing. Yeah, it's a good feeling. Wouldn't that be a nice thing for our wish list that um, those that of us that have can be more charitable to those without and help elevate everybody up to a, a higher level? Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, Caitlin, we spent a lot of time with uh, in our AP presentations and we talked a lot about demographics and you took the lead on that. And two of them was gender bias and you had stories on bias within the vet profession, one in particular in terms of the number of presenters uh, at a conference, veterinary conference, female veterinarians were called by the first name more often than male veterinarians. Where do you see this going? Where do you, what's your wish list for getting away or having more equity in, in the genders going into 2021? Well, man, my dream would be that, you know, when we get these emails about um, CE opportunities, and there's so many right now because they're virtual. And so there's a lot of opportunities there that I hope that when we open these emails and we see who's speaking, that it just becomes the normal to see women and not the exception. And I do see a change. I do see that it's happening more and more frequently. I looked at one the other day that had three speakers and two were women and one was a male. And that was just nice to see. And just to have that be the normal, um, not that 
women outweigh men, but just that there's a good mix. So I hope for that. I hope that uh, women can feel empowered, both getting that from themselves, but getting that also from men that are allies, because I do believe that there's a lot out there. And that we can kind of stand in our own and learn how to develop the confidence of that and what we have to offer without having aggression behind it. That's something that I'm learning to fine tune myself as an individual is like, I'm proud to be a woman, but I, you know, and I can just stand in that. I don't need to defend myself or my abilities. So I hope that more and more women feel empowered, that they are supported by other women and also by our men in our profession. And I like to, I'd like to see more women take risks in speaking and writing papers and submitting them to AEP. Like we discussed um, afterwards about how, you know, women need to feel fully qualified in order to do that versus men need to have a much uh, lower percentage of confidence. And so I hope that we can see women feeling more empowered and stepping up to these opportunities and also that women that have, you know, paved the road in front of us, like Amy Grice and others in our profession, continue to seek out younger members of the profession and ask for them to step up, knowing that we have the support of those individuals behind us. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. No, and I think we would all agree with that. I, I know we've had some discussions and we've had comments after our business news hour uh, from some male practitioners were sort of like, now it feels like it's getting to a point where as being a male practitioner or potential male presenter, I feel like now the odds are stacked against me that we have to make more opportunities for female presenters how do we respond to that? Because I mean, we, we've, I know the three of us had some lengthy discussions about some of the feedback afterwards. And I think it was, it was interesting feedback. And it was a perspective that I, even being a guy, I never thought of either. So I'm uh, curious as to what the two of you think about that. Yeah, I think that it's very common for those that are putting together continuing education. And I should say that one of the things we discussed was that quality is always you want the highest quality speaker, no matter what their gender is. But when you're putting together sessions or presentations and you have to invite speakers, it is very common for your mind to sort of sift through the people that you already know, the people whose accomplishments you're familiar with. And it's just the way of the world that, you know, gals tend to hang out with gals and guys tend to hang out with guys. And and so I think our minds tend to sift to the people that we know and are very familiar with. And so what I would suggest is that anybody who is looking for speakers take the extra step to make sure that there isn't somebody um, just as readily qualified who may be able to make a panel more gender diverse you know, that people challenge themselves for that. But having said that, you know, if somebody is doing the top research in a particular field, one would not want to, for gender reasons, choose someone else to report on somebody else's findings, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think, you know, the emotional aspect of that. So like when I read that particular comment, you know, 
immediately, I think as a reaction that a lot of people would have, you're like, join the club, buddy. Because women have been feeling this marginalization and this feeling for a long time. And I think it's, you know, it's interesting now having men feel it as well and be very uncomfortable about it. And I had to take a step back and I had to find empathy for that individual that they felt that way because I know how it feels to feel like that. And it's not great when anyone feels that way, regardless of what their gender is. So I did find empathy for that individual um, and then that discomfort that they were feeling. And I think that not that it's good that he felt that way, but I think that it provides perspective for the other gender that now standing in the shoes of another individual saying, this doesn't feel good. I don't like this. Mm. And knowing that and knowing if we can potentially understand how each person feels, we would obviously try to do our best within what's right for the profession to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I think sort of if you combine the two thoughts there, I mean, if you're if you are either a, a vendor who's putting out an ad or having a spokespeople for your product, or if you're putting together a summit or a conference or what have you, is a you know does the, does the panel reflect your membership? Are we giving opportunities for fresh faces that maybe are not the more known? and try to have the best quality, but looking at it after and saying, you know, do we have enough senior vets, junior vets, female vets, male vets? Are there, is there any kind of ethnic diversity on this panel? And I think uh, it, it behooves us, and I'm, I'm sort of thinking of Amy and myself, who are more, uh, I would say, in a senior role in the profession, who, you know, just because of that, you're often involved in those organizations of conferences and, and events to sit there and be that voice that says, is this a fair panel? Can we open it up a bit more? Mm -hmm. And you just never know what happens when you give somebody a chance. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I was involved in, a, in a, a conference this fall, a virtual conference, and a lot of fresh faces and faces that I had never known about in, in the equine, uh, you know, a lameness, let's say, uh, field. And I was just like, wow, this is wonderful having these great new people in here. It's actually, it's really exciting yeah. and it, it stirs it up. It's fresh. It's very cool. I think. So the, we'll come back to maternity leave uh, later. Cause that was another very big, uh, important subject, but let's sort of, uh, slide into technology. And I'm just trying to think of, you know, what are we hoping for with technology coming into this coming year? I mean, you know, we're, we're at home on our home gyms and Peloton. We're, you know, I find, I don't know what you, you the three of you, when you're, I'm talking to people that I know family members and because you know, we're sort of restricted in what we're doing. The conversation comes up really soon. What's, what are you watching on Netflix? What are you watching on Apple? What are you watching on Disney? You know, and you know, I think technology, oh boy, I think streaming has been one of the big winners of 2020 because I think in the movie theaters or not, I mean, you, we're seeing now a lot of companies are not going to release films in the theater. They're going to go straight to streaming. And so I think a lot of the technological changes that we saw in 2020, like Zoom, Pelotons, streaming, telemedicine, they're here to stay. 
uh, I think those are permanent changes in our in our environment. Yeah, I think we're going to start traveling. And boy, I, I know we would all prefer to go to a conference and be in person and actually meet up with each other. But, you know, I think there's always going to be an element now that we've shown that we can do it, that there will be an element of a virtual CE in a conference. Telemedicine will get bigger and bigger. And I think for equine practice, we're, we're lagging behind what's happening in small animal, but I think we'll catch up. And I think once we figure out how we can charge for telemedicine because we've been giving it away for free forever. Uh, I think we're going to see it as a huge advantage. I don't know, Amy, you talked to a lot of vet practices. What do you think about that? You know, actually, when you um, st- said that we all want to get together and be together for conferences, what we actually got at the AAEP for, for feedback from people was that they loved the virtual conference. And certainly there's people that that want to meet in person. That's that's absolutely true. But we had a huge number of people who who said, please, please always make this available because either for financial reasons or they're in a small practice and it's a burden to leave people behind covering all the practice or they have small children for whatever reason, there were a large number of people who were very, very happy to have that opportunity. And so we're having discussions right now about having some virtual areas in the annual convention every single year and really thinking about it because it was remarkable how much, how much people liked it. I saw some of those comments and I think, you know, what where people are loving is that I can watch this when I want to, or, you know, the age old thing is there's a great talk on lameness and there's a table topic on lameness. I can't be two places at once. And so, yeah, I, I could see how a lot of people really like the virtual format. So what do, you, what do you think, Caitlin? I completely agree. I think like for me, the week that the conference was going on was a pretty stressful one for me. So I didn't watch a lot of additional things. But now I'm watching, you know, I'm trying to watch a lecture a day to kind of catch up. So that's wonderful that we have the opportunity to do that for the next six months. And should I attend one in person again, that you always run into the competing talks, or you can't find the darn corridor that you have no idea where it is and it takes you 15 minutes to get there. So you miss the first 15 minutes of a talk. So the fact that I could maybe just relax a little bit while at the conference and catch up on some of those stuff at home later afterwards, I think that's a great opportunity. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's some great advantages that, uh, you know, I think we have changed our behavior and, you know, what they say, it takes, you know, what, 60 days to change behavior if you continuously do something. I don't know the specific day, but well, we've got what, nine months now, 10 months uh, of change behavior. And these are our new norms. And so I think uh, some of it is really exciting. I'm don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a big fan of technology. Sometimes technology can take over. I think what we're going to see, and I think this is going to be, I, I'm fairly confident in that there are going to be some big lawsuits against the big tech companies this year, Facebook, particularly Google. Yeah. We may see Facebook broken up. Um, we may see Google broken up and we may even see some of Amazon being broken up because they've just gotten so big. And, you know, I think Facebook is right in the targets of legislatures. And I know there's some lawsuits going on right now against Facebook. So I think when we're talking next year, we'll know a lot more about this, but yeah, I think our, our social world, our social media world is going to be disrupted in the next couple of years for sure. You know what else I think about technology, Mike? I think that, you know, talking about, 
how much Netflix we're watching or Hulu. A lot of it is, you know, we're stuck at home and we're stuck with these uncomfortable feelings of not knowing where, when any of this is going to end. So it's easy to turn on Netflix or look on Facebook and numb yourself from these feelings. So I think that next year is going to be a really interesting time to see how we develop boundaries with technology. Mm-hmm that we don't lose ourselves in it. And from the practitioner standpoint, you know, if, a, if we increase our telecommunication, you know, are we going to train what we tolerate? Are we going to train clients? Now is the time to train client expectations that this isn't like on-demand communications like Netflix is, that it has yeah. business hours. And so that's up to us as an industry and up to us as individuals in a practice to decide what those boundaries look like and how to implement them. But I've worked pretty hard to do that so that my clients know that the technology aspect of the practice is also part of the business working hours. And outside of it, it's non-functional. Yeah. I think uh, another point on it, and it's interesting, is we've already seen the opening salvos of it, Facebook and Apple. Uh, Apple, if their iPhones, with the new operating system, they'll be uh, implementing a feature in their latest operating system where instead of companies like Facebook or Google able to track you automatically, you know, right now the default is you've got to opt out of that. And that, but what they're going to be introducing in the spring is it's automatically that you're opt out and you've got to opt in if you want to be tracked. And that's based like Facebook is based on ads. It's, I mean, they, it's just ads and that's a huge, that's a huge opening for Facebook. I mean, excuse me, Apple just talking about privacy in this, you know, I know our vet practice, we use Facebook ads, great way of reaching horse people in our community, great way of sharing what our practice can offer to potential clients if that's taken away from us as veterinary practices, it's going to change how we market uh, and use social media to target clients. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, so we'll see where that goes. But I think I have a feeling most of us, because we all hate those ads that follow us from website to website. You go onto Amazon, you look and explore something. And, and then all of a sudden these ads start showing up everywhere you go and you're like, oh, come on. And I think as consumers, we probably prefer privacy. So Yeah, you've had one conversation about bagels and then it shows up on every platform on your computer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think privacy is going to be a huge issue in the coming year. Uh, I know somebody was talking about the new uh, fitness app where the, that Amazon has and the way it's tracking you. And they're like, now we're getting to a point where it's just getting a bit too much. So we will see. One subject I really want to talk about, we, we talked about it a little bit, um, but I think this is a common, common challenge facing the equine veterinary profession. And I know, Amy, you've done a lot of uh, research and analysis of that. And we talked a little bit about it in the Business News Hour is vets leaving the profession and particularly leaving equine profession. So, Amy, I don't know if you have any thoughts of what you think the year is going to bring and what you hope it may bring. What I hope it may bring is that practices are able to think about new ways of attracting veterinarians into equine practice by changing their paradigms, changing their way of working. And there are some practices around the country that that are doing a great job and that if only we could have students that are interested in equine see these practices and the way that they operate 
That would be my dream because there are people out there doing equine practice in a very humane, sustainable way, whether they're solo or mixed. Can you give some examples on that? Examples? Yeah, just like when you talk about a humane practice or or a practice that's welcoming to uh, a young vet, just some ideas what you're talking about. So what I see is that practices that recognize that having a hard stop to the day is necessary for many um, young women in the profession that have small children that need to say pick them up at at uh, daycare or or from you know their parents or whoever has them having a four day work week or sometimes even um, offering part time uh, work weeks uh, that those that are in small practices uh, joining together in collaborative uh, emergency cooperatives so that the emergency call uh, responsibilities are minimized, having robust prices for their services so that they can afford to pay people professionally um, rather than um, small salaries. They can actually make a living wage that's appropriate for somebody with that degree of education. And as Caitlin often talks about, having appropriate boundaries so that there's not this bleeding of uh, your work life into every single moment and hour of your real life. And what I think happens, and Caitlin has spoken to this in the Business News Hour, is that oftentimes people have experiences in externships or even internships at some of the big, big practices that are household names. And they have a business model that's very different than what I'm talking about typically. And so they see that equine practice is this other thing that it doesn't have to be. Yeah. How about you, Caitlin? I know you talk quite passionately about this. Yeah, I do because I was one of those people that like it got really bad for me. Not that I ever really seriously considered leaving the profession, but I was very unhappy in the profession. And I had to take a good look at myself because I only work for myself and I have no one else working for me and I don't work for anyone else. So the entire responsibility of that fell on me. And so I had to take a good look at how I was doing things, uh, what I wanted from my job, what I wanted from my life. And thanks to a foundation I had beforehand, but to um, a group that I joined with Amy, you know, having knowing how to set pricing. I think business education is so important because a lot of people are veterinarians that become incidental practice owners. So knowing how to properly run a business and having the confidence behind what you're pricing, just be like, no, this is mathematically making sense. I'm not just coming up with a number. So charging what I'm worth, having a great network of friends, and um, I think the Facebook equine groups have done a tremendous job connecting the community where um, the listserv kind of fell to the wayside with the up-and-coming generation, and so that you don't feel so alone in the profession when you have certain struggles. Um, it can be very self-isolating and you think that you're the only one going through that experience when you're really not. And for me personally, it was about deciding what kind of life I wanted to live outside of veterinary medicine. And I enjoy it as I can. I, With the years of experience I've had to learn to like 
embrace the slow time and not freak out so much and enjoy it because sometimes it gets crazy and like work-life balance isn't a scale balance. It's a continuum. And sometimes it's going to shift one way or another. I think in the group practices, what I'd like to see is that those feelings that individuals have about whether they're unhappy in their job or their profession, being able to speak up about them, like hearing their, letting themselves hear their own voice and also extending it to those that they work for. But I think it's really important for the practice owners to ask the people who are working for them how they're doing. 100%. And ask what their thoughts are on, hey, is this emergency schedule working for you? If not, what might you suggest? And they've got to ask questions and they've got to be the type of person, and this may take some work, that is approachable. Mm -hmm that doesn't get on the defensive, that, you know, when someone's coming to them, listens for what they actually agree with or what they think they might be able to do. So I hope individuals start to speak up. And I really hope that we embrace a culture in this entire profession of just listening and coming up with solutions as a group, not just one person deciding. No, that you're spot on. I know I, I presented in 2018 on employee engagement surveys, and that revolutionized our practice. And, you know, really listening in a very, in a safe environment, actually, we were able to do it in an anonymous environment. And the feedback gave us such insights that we, we totally changed our business model uh, to make it a better place for vets to be. And it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's, you know, life is challenging and every year you've got to adapt a little bit. But I do think those practices that are more responsive, whether they're big or small, are, are going to attract the new vets. And if enough of these practices start developing, then I think the tide will turn and, you know, more people will get out of school and go, you know, what, I, I can be an equine vet and have a good life and make the decent living and be able to ride my own horse too. imagine that. Yeah. One area I want, and this sort of ties into what we were just talking about, um, maternity leave. And so, you know, uh, um, I'm, I'm in Canada, so it's not really an issue up here other than w when vets go on maternity leave, they're often gone for a year if, uh, and up to a year and a half, depending on which province they're in. So our job is, well, you know, how do you fill the vet's role for a year to a year and a half? But I know you had some great articles, Caitlin, about some of the challenges with maternity leave, uh, length of the maternity leave, the longer the maternity leave, the better outcomes for the mother and being uh, back in the workforce. So what is, what is on your wish list for 2021? I would like every contract that every employee signs, whether they are male or female, to include a maternity leave policy. I think that that is incredibly important. I think it's something that the practice needs to think about before it becomes an issue. It should just be the normal. And I, it doesn't necessarily need to be a paid maternity leave. And it can be something that's open for discussion depending on who they're hiring. But, you know, I just had a friend that just took a job at a, at a new practice and she is not going to have children in her lifetime. And there was not a maternity leave in the contract and she asked for it. Mm -hmm. And she asked for it, not for herself, but she asked for it for any women coming behind her. Right. And so I'd like to see that. Yeah. How about you, Amy? What are your thoughts on this? What's on your wish list? Well, you know, based on 
I had done a survey some years ago about, you know, pregnancy in practice and, and was horrified at some of the stories that people told me about, you know, having a baby and, and going back to work two weeks later when, you know, the disability of pregnancy uh, for a vaginal birth is six weeks, for a C-section, typically eight weeks, like physical disability. And they felt compelled and forced to get back to work. And this is just wrong. So I would like to see our veterinary profession in the in the equine sector sort of uh, recognize that young women need to have time off after a birth. There's a lot of solo practices, you know, 35 to 40% of AAEP membership for the last 10 years have been solo practices. And that figure stays pretty, pretty uh, stable. And so what that means is that those collaborative relationships with other small practices are absolutely essential. And I'm aware of a, a particular uh, individual who was able to have her uh, fellow members in her emergency collaborative um, take care of her, all of her clients during her maternity leave. Oh, nice. You know, so I think that collaboration and taking care of each other in this generation is very strong. I think that will help tremendously. And you know who, where else that's really strong and it's not necessarily generational, but it's just been part of the community ethos and it's something that we as veterinarians can learn from is the farrier community. They get hurt a lot. Yes, they do. And they will be out for weeks sometimes and all the other farriers will chip in and take care of their clients and, and do what I can just a, to give this farrier some living, but to take care of the clients and they all give the clients back to the farrier when it's all over. So that happens time and time again, all across the equine world. And so I think that's, you know, so it's not just necessarily a, a certain age group. I just think it's a, a culture that they have had. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to see like a healthier culture, I think in general in the equine profession where we become less competitive with each other. And I think the more that we understand about branding and identification as ourselves as individual practitioners and that we're comfortable in that, that that threat is less and less each year. But realizing that the reason you want to help somebody out when they're hurt is because they're one of your own. Mm -hmm. And um, really trying to strengthen that idea in the, the profession is that, you know, we're all in this together. And however we can help out another individual, I think, is the right thing to do. Absolutely. A couple of areas else we were talking about with the vet industry. One was unions. And we had talked about a vet practice in on the West Coast, uh, part of a large chain that became unionized. And there's a couple of other practices that are, are on the verge of becoming unionized too. And, and do we think that is a real trend? You know, I knew, yes, you've got to be a certain size, but I'm starting to think of, and this sort of ties into the next subject of a consolidation of a lot of practices and those practice consolidators going around is, you know, do we think that this may be something that will happen in the equine vet profession? Because there, there are some practices that are quite large and are of the size that they, they could have a union there. So, Amy, what do you think about that? I think that as corporate uh consolidators put together equine practices, that this will become more and more uh, prevalent. But if you look, you know, 53% of equine practices are two doctors or less. I think that it is, um, you know, it will not become 
uh, across the equine profession, but it may affect the large practices, specifically those who are bought up by the corporate consolidators. And it's interesting when you look at the practices that have become unionized or on the verge of becoming unionized, this goes right back in the theme of we were just talking about of, you know, listening to the staff and having an environment where you take care of your people. Um, and the, the practices that are getting unionized, the staff did not felt feel that they were listened to, their concerns were addressed. And just like we were just talking about, uh, you know, asking for maternity leave, asking your staff and vets what they feel. I, I think what it's, ma- it's letting us know is that, you know, um, we have a rare commodity work with us, or whether it's veterinarians or great technicians or receptionists, they're not easy to replace. And it really behooves us to take care of and, and listen to them and, and do what they say or, you know, listen to their suggestions and, and not just listen, but act upon them. And I think that will minimize any kind of risk on that. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think that unions are a result of people not feeling heard and that it's a strong reminder to, yeah, make sure that you're listening and asking um, your staff and making sure that everybody in the business, no matter what their role is, has a voice. Mm-hmm. So the last area I wanted to talk about, because we've just been skirting around it, is the consolidation of vet practices. A number of them were bought equine vet practices in 2020. This is our first year where we saw a big chunk. And uh, do we think this will continue? I don't know if you word on the street or anything that the two of you heard. We'll, we'll start with you, Caitlin. But what do you think of the whole consolidation and corporate takeover of uh, equine veterinary practices? I have a very strong negative reaction to it. I I get really mad at these people that are selling because they're selling for a price much higher than any individual person could afford to buy the practice. And I think that it's doing a disservice to the equine industry. I think it's doing a disservice to future generations of veterinarians because practice ownership needs to be affordable. And I think that good people are going to leave. And I'm not talking about leaving the profession. They're going to leave those practices that made them that good. Mm. And they're going to go out and they're going to do it on their own. Because in the grand scheme of things, it's not that expensive to start your own equine practice. So I'm, I'm disappointed that it keeps happening. I'd like to say that the younger generation isn't going to be the ones to go that direction. That, you know, hopefully we continue to embrace the quality of life and kind of what we view as being successful is determined by each individual person. And it's not necessarily driven by money. What are your thoughts on this, Amy? I think that um, Caitlin's on to something because what I'm seeing out in the world is that those practices that have been bought up by consolidators often um, see an exodus of some of their talented young veterinarians who, you know, give it a try and then are like, you know, this isn't for me. Perhaps they had been promised partnership. Um, They'd always had in their mind that they would be able to be the ones that carried on with this practice when the owners retired. And they're very disappointed. And they realize that they can go out and do it on their own. And the way to be financially successful as an equine veterinarian is to be an owner. And Mike, you wrote a 
a fabulous article about that, I think in the last year, about reasons why younger owners of practices should not sell to consolidators because they're, they're leaving so much money on the table. And, and yeah, I just, I think that uh, the corporate world, the pet, the, you know, the pet corporate people do not understand equine veterinary practice. And I think in the end, they'll probably be disappointed by what happens. We're just a different breed, us fiercely independent equine people. Yes. Yeah, I think them trying to use a small animal model in equine, they're going to be greatly disappointed. And I agree with all of you. And I, you know, the one thing I, I would say to Caitlin, I would say, you know, if you're a vet at the end of the career, physically, you have to retire or you're just done. And there's nobody coming along that wants to buy your practice. I think these corporate groups are, uh, you know, amazing. Grab it. But I hear that and I see that. And I think that that's a reminder to those practitioners that are in the middle of their career, that they need to start thinking about what they're going to do now. hundred percent. And that was just what I was going to say. But if you're, you know, if you've got a group practice, cause they, they don't want to practice smaller than three or four vets, but if you've got a, you know, group practice or you're developing something, you've got to have that pathway to bring on those associates. And, and what Amy alluded to the article I wrote, you know, if you look at the math, they dangle huge numbers in front of you now. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, if I don't grab it now, I'll never get it. And that's that's not true. If you look at it over at least in most cases, if you're going to have a, a lifespan of at least five years, you're going to make far more money by keeping on to the practice and selling it to your associates at an affordable price like you alluded to, Caitlin. It's just, you know, it's, it's these are slick business people and they're in the business of making money. And so, you know, the whole thing of buy low and sell high later on, that's their business model and we sort of reverse it. So, yeah. And I, and I will say we will be on part of the, uh, education program committee and we're sort of planning the business program for next year and that this subject will be a, a big part of that business program in, in, uh, 2021. So that'll be interesting. Final question for you too. Just if you had one thing that you would hope for in 2021, what is it that you wish for? Who wants to start first? Well, I am at like a really fun place in my career, I think, where I am uh, more confident and I'm getting braver and I'm doing new things and things that I haven't done before. So I personally, I'm really looking forward to just kind of what opportunities ever uh, knock on my door professionally. And so I would like to see that for others too, to leave the idea of perfection behind and just embrace every experience that comes to them because you just never know where this life and this profession is going to take you. Right. Amy, what about yourself? I would like to see the the sense of cooperation and the spirit of supporting your fellow veterinarians sort of spread like a plague across, across the entire world where people, you know, help each other up. They They turn around and they, you know, put their hand out to help somebody who's coming up behind them that there is rather than a spirit of competitiveness, there's a spirit of collegiality, sort of like in the farrier world, you know, where, and I see it, 
I see it in, in pockets everywhere, but I'd just like to see it spread like a plague. Great. Yeah. And I would say mine would be on the same level of just listen to your employees and just try to do right by them. Um, we've got great people in the profession and we want to keep them in the profession and let's make them have a long, enjoyable careers, regardless if they're a veterinarian or a receptionist. This could be one of the most satisfying jobs ever, but I think sometimes we make it harder on ourselves. So, Those three things make a beautiful paradigm. There we go. We got it all figured out. We'll meet back next year and we'll see where we are. But if if we can do that, we're all right. Yeah. Thank you all very much. Happy New Year to you. Continued health and success into 2021. And uh, hopefully one day we'll see each other in person in the near future. Hope so. Sounds great, Mike. We'll race a glass together. Absolutely. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Boringer Engelheim. As the global leader in equine health, Boringer Engelheim's main goal is to improve equine patients' health and quality of life. Boringer Engelheim is dedicated to providing the latest product technology for the treatment and prevention of diseases in horses. Learn more about our product portfolio and what we can offer the veterinary community by visiting bi-vetmedica.com. For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Dot org.